3: Welcome inside the Celtics Lab podcast. We have a lot to talk about after nearly winning a game against Boston's biggest rival, nearly losing a key player to serious injury, and a host of other news. But first, we'd like to introduce a special guest here to talk about an old and important connection with the Celtics and a particular basketball scene. We have John Finkel, author of Hoops Hype, on former Celtic Isaiah Thomas's Slow Grind Publishing with us today. How are you doing, John? I'm
4: good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. Not too bad.
1: Okay. Doing all right. Uh, I am prepping for inevitably having to dig my car out of the snow after this pod. Um, but aside from that, doing okay.
2: Yeah. I'm feeling good and feeling crappy about that Lakers game and I'm feeling good and crappy about this snowstorm. So just another day.
3: (laughs) No snowstorm here for me. Uh, my allergies are finally under control because I finally managed to track down some
2: Zyrtec, uh,
3: so hopefully no, no scary coughing in this episode. Yeah. There was some, there's some really inexcusable basketball. We should also talk about the Spurs loss. Um, that was, that was fun.
1: You know, uh, I've, I've watched a little bit of Spurs basketball this year. I've been interested to see their kind of transition into the next era. And, you know, I, I almost feel like we should have won that game and I feel bad that we kind of gave it away but the Spurs are a pretty tough team, and uh, if you play them sloppy, they're going to take advantage. Lonnie Walker, Deontay Murray, Keldon Johnson have all been playing really well. DeMar DeRozan is a consistent Celtic killer. So while I'm disappointed that we weren't able, that we lost that game in the fashion that we did, uh, I'm not too beat up about it, considering that the Spurs are actually looking pretty decent this year. Uh, I think I feel kind of the same way about the Lakers game, both games that I'm more disappointed by the Celtics performance than I am the fact that we lost to two reasonably good teams.
4: Yeah. I mean, I'll jump in. I I we have all these nights where basically like Tatum and and Brown score 50 points or close to it. And for me, no matter what else happens, I feel like we should win those games and down the stretch we didn't, but that's kind of my takeaway. That game was, uh, was frustrating. Um, for, for that reason as always, but at the end of the game we were sloppy and they were a little better.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's such a young team. I think we lose sight of the fact that Alex is right. If you go up a team like the Spurs, the Celtics might not have the focus or the discipline to, to win that game. And then similarly down the stretch against the Lakers, there were just a few key plays that the Celtics either didn't execute on or the Lakers executed on a little bit better. And that was the nail in the coffin for Boston. So uh I'm sure we'll talk about Marcus Smart in a second. That's probably the biggest takeaway from the past few uh, games for the Seas, but it just seems to me that it's still really early in the season, and this is still a a very young team. So the bumps and bruises and warts of the dog days of the regular season aren't going to be very pretty for the Celtics team, I don't think.
3: Yeah, I think it's fair to say, too, that you aren't going to see teams score four points against themselves very often in a basketball game either.
2: (laughs) That's hard to do. That's impressive.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, really. I think it's the first time I've ever seen two own goals in the same game. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about smart because that that could have been really really bad and it kind of exposed that even though we don't really have you know a backcourt rotation problem per se, at least right now when with you know Peyton Pritchard out and uh, Jeff Teague looking kind of like the ghost of Jeff Teague.
1: It's going to be a tough stretch without Marcus. Um, You know, Smart, particularly on offense, I think, was having probably his best year ever. He was averaging a career high in assists. His shooting percentage was up. uh, And he really, you know, despite having occasionally games where he would have some pretty egregious shot selection, uh, he really did become a kind of slept-on focal point of this team. In particular, he really... Developed some nice chemistry with Jalen Brown uh, prior to getting hurt when watching that game. I honestly thought that he was done for the season. So I'm relieved that it's only going to be two to three weeks. That injury looked a lot worse than uh, I think it could have been, but I also didn't consider uh, that Marcus smart has Wolverine's healing factor. So he'll be fine, but it's going to be a tough stretch for these next three weeks. Celtics are already at something of a playmaking deficit Uh, with the loss of Gordon Hayward in the offseason, and I think they're going to have to get a little funky uh, with some of these lineups, in particular when it comes to uh, assigning playmaking duties. Thankfully, Kemba Walker is back, and so that will lift the burden a little bit, but um, there's going to be stretches where this offense is going to look really ragged, and of course, you know, Smart is also an all-defense guard, so that's going to be tough to deal with as well considering that the celtics defense has regressed from what it was last year and that was even with smart in the lineup um i think that there's going to be some games where jalen and jason will just be good enough for the celtics to win outright uh but there's going to be a
4: number of games where we are going to feel smart's absence over these next few weeks yeah man i agree That, that the the playmaking thing and obviously we're biased we'll talk about it later but like we thought Teague was going to be that guy. We all kind of had that hopeful thing in the offseason. Maybe Isaiah comes back, and he is that guy off the bench. But they, if Kemba can be it, great. I, I don't know. Nobody knows what we're going to get with him at night in and night out. It's really an interesting – it's just interesting. You know, we can get into the Laker game. I know you teased it earlier. But, um, man, you know, especially after watching last night, you know, Beal and Russell and hit those shots and Damian Lillard. Like, Kemba should hit those shots. He should hit the shot he should have hit, and he should – not be, I don't even remember what one for twelve or two for yep. whatever he was it was it was awful. And he's awesome. I mean, we've liked him since college. It's just, uh, I feel like if he's not that guy, I do think we're in a bit of a scoring trouble uh, on the nights where you know we know we're we're both our two stars are not playing great. Um, and then if they're all three are off the floor, he can't run that second unit or, or you know could be the bridge from the first to second unit. I actually think they
2: do have some scoring problems. So, John, just a point of clarity. Some of us went to the University of Pittsburgh, so we didn't all love Kemba Walker in college. Ah, yeah, all right. That's fair.
4: That's fair. He was a winner in college, and most people acknowledge that. Let's just say that. I can acknowledge that he was a winner, yeah. (laughs) Brad
2: Wanamaker
3: over there.
4: Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Sorry (laughs) about that. I understand. (laughs) The pride of the Steel City, yeah, Brad Wanamaker. Uh, No, John, I think you're right. Um, Maybe counterintuitively, this is nice. Uh, By some estimates, uh, Kemba will be back in three weeks. I doubt it. I mean, uh, excuse me, Smart will be back in three weeks, um, which I wouldn't hold my breath on that. And that's, that's going to be a big chunk of the season. He's going to miss 10, 11, 12 games. Um, but perhaps it's an opportunity for Kemba to um, get himself right a little bit. I'm really fascinated by uh, Jason Tatum, the point guard, especially running the second unit. And so if there's a way for Stevens to stagger minutes, that lets Kemba kind of be the man with Tatum on the bench. Um, maybe run some pick and roll with Time Lord and then let uh, Tatum come in and be the the point forward, um, which is so in vogue in the NBA right now. There's a chance that the scoring kind of sorts itself out and actually the Celtics grow a little bit. Uh, I'm not feeling super optimistic about that. And then the defense, there's just no way to replace what Marcus Smart does. I mean, that's going to be a really big hit. So it's, it's not that interesting to say it's the regular season and it's a weird regular season. So if the Celtics are sixth or third in the standings at the end of the regular season, I don't really mind. Uh, But this could be the difference between ending in the third position, sixth position in the Eastern conference.
3: Let's talk about Kemba and some of the other players that maybe we should be a little bit concerned with, or maybe not, maybe not. Uh, But, like let's let's give it a scale of one to ten, um, and maybe a little bit of conversation on what our thoughts are on Kemba Walker. Like for me, I think that it's very reasonable to give him several more games, three or four more games, to really feel like whether or not he can find his way into his, this the situation with this team this season. But I am a little concerned. You know, he 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 didn't look bad in the Lakers game. Like he still mostly looked like he had his burst with like one one drive where where he got stuffed by Harrell. Um, he didn't really look like that great, but I mean, other than that, he just looked like he was having an off night. He wasn't really like front rimming or widely missing things. So I would put it like, at like a six, I am concerned, but I, I do think it's, at least for now, it's a little bit overblown.
1: Well, uh, I wish that I was as optimistic as you, Justin, frankly, I am extremely concerned. Uh, I know that Kemba Walker has only played for a few games and it's going to take him some time to get back into his rhythm And, you know, I like Kemba Walker. I hope he succeeds. I think it would be really fun to have him be on a serious title team uh, in Boston. Here's the thing. Kemba Walker is 30 years old. Kemba Walker has had multiple knee injuries now that have kept him sidelined in important moments. Kemba Walker has not been a particularly strong player in the postseason in the limited time that he has been in the postseason. Kemba Walker is on a max contract and uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are ready to win a title. These guys are absolute 100% locked in superstars. And, you know, I like Kemba again. And I think there is a world where he gets healthy, he gets his rhythm and he becomes a great uh, chemistry guy that helps push this team over the top. But the more that this kind of goes on, the more that we see Kemba having, these games against uh, teams with serious size at the one position uh, and seeing him underperform in those situations, the harder it gets for me to envisage that uh, Kemba Walker is ultimately going to be that third guy for Brown and Tatum. And if that's the case, uh, I think you got to take a long, hard look in the mirror this offseason and really think about whether he makes sense for the timeline of this team. Uh, I would, I would honestly put it at an eight, right
4: now wow it was uh the concern level being a 10 of a concern for him mm-hmm.
3: 10 would be yeah. like panic yeah
4: panic yeah I, i'm not man he's he's a vet I, I think it's too if he can get a little luck he needs a couple good games like a couple old school good kemba in the zone you know eight of twelve from the floor type easy bucket games um i think that'll carry through i, I think Right now, I, I'd maybe put it at a four or a five, but I think if it's the same conversation in March, where it's like, man, three for ten, you know, four for eleven, these games where fourth quarter, it seems as though he doesn't want the ball, and and he's such a positive dude. Um, but if it does get in his head and it does get down to the point where you just, you know, as a as a fan, as a coach, you kind of don't want him to have the ball. I mean, we, we when he got to the team, it was one of those things where, you know, end of the fourth quarter coming down, it was almost like he can teach. You know, Tatum and Brown had to close. I mean, that's what he did. It's what he did in college. He didn't have really opportunities to do with Charlotte. But, um you know, I really, I'd say I'm a five now, but I think it'll escalate to a 10 fast if it's the same discussion, in, you know, in a month or so.
2: Yeah, I'm sitting on like a four. I mean, it's just too small of a sample. Yeah. Uh, that number changes thinking about how hard it's going to be to hide him on defense in the playoffs, but we're not there yet. So I'm going to stick with a four.
3: What about Tristan Thompson? He has been getting, you know, kind of a similar. Is he ever going to be in shape? Is he ever going to play himself into shape? Is he no. not learning the <laughs> system? Okay, so you all start, three
4: knows. I, just, <laughs> not, <has>
3: <laughs> I do think that there's a Okay, so I'll, I'll just go. Um, I do think there's a possibility there is a world where he does play himself into shape, but I also think we should adjust our expectations a bit. Um, I'm at like a seven with him. I do think he deserves a chance, but the returns have not been good.
1: I think I'm at, uh, weirdly, I'm at like a four with Tristan Thompson. And I I think that has more to do with my expectations for Tristan Thompson than it does with um, kind of my level of concern. Ultimately, Tristan Thompson kind of is who he is. Uh, I think he's gonna, he's still kind of playing his way into shape. I don't know if he'll get there, but Tristan Thompson is not going to make or break whether the Celtics win the title this year. Frankly, I kind of think that I would I would be interested in seeing Tristan as a kind of six man for this team for the next little bit. Uh, in particular, Tice and Robert Williams have just been playing so well that I feel like they really have earned the right to get minutes over him. And I, I don't know that that's going to happen immediately, but I think By the end of the season, uh, I feel pretty comfortable saying that Tristan is going to pretty clearly be the third big in that hierarchy. So I think moving him to a bench role, seeing what you got there, uh, the fact that he's on a relatively movable deal. And I don't know, I guess my expectations for Tristan were not uh, quite that high to begin with. I viewed him as a solid body who was marginally better than Ennis Cantor, And so far, that's about where I'm at.
4: Yeah, man. I'm with you. I have no expectations. I figured he'd be out of the rotation or at least like the eighth dude very soon. He's just not anything to get excited or, you know, his ceiling is like 10 and 10. And that's if he gets like a lot of minutes. I don't have any. I agree with what you said. Far as being an important piece. I don't see it. I didn't see it when they signed him. I I understood why they did um maybe you know for later just to blow some fouls on some of the bigger guys and they need somebody in the interior and once they get to the playoffs so i get all of that i'm not just box scoring like he does not do anything but i'd love and i'd love to see him be more aggressive but you know out of shape kind of kind of off he doesn't kind of know where to be a lot of times i mean doesn't get a ton of offensive rebounds which no putbacks at least i don't you know i'm not a not a keeping stats but it just feels like there's so many times where he's around the paint when someone else gets a rebound on offense so I don't even have a number. I think we signed him as a two, and I'm, I'm still at a two.
2: Yeah, my, I have a four that I turned into an ugly six. Um, we got him ostensibly to, gover, uh, to cover Joel Embiid, right? I mean, yeah, we needed a big body to handle Embiid. And it doesn't look like anyone in the NBA is able to handle Embiid. So that kind of points to Tristan on that one, that Embiid is just going to bulldoze his way to the Eastern Conference Finals, perhaps. Give him time. It's a new system. He hasn't played real basketball in many months. Um, If he can kind of get into shape a little bit, get a little more comfortable, I think he, at the very least, got a couple fouls to give every night. Uh, But that second year in that contract is looking pretty ugly. So I don't really know uh, what to do with that. That could quickly become a really negative asset uh, for the Seas. So I had a four that I turned into a six. What about Jeff Teague? I um I I like
1: Jeff Teague for the meme potential he's one of the most memeable players in the NBA and has been for a while so I'm always going to be a fan of Jeff Teague Uh, that being said it's pretty excruciating to watch him play basketball right now I think at the beginning of the season I was really excited about the possibility of Jeff Teague becoming an elite foul grifter and just getting to the free throw line a bunch uh what I didn't take into account is that that is the only thing that jeff teague can do well on offense is get to the line and outside of that he basically seems like he doesn't know that he's in a basketball game 80 percent of the time so i mean i am concerned when i see jeff teague on the floor at all times but in terms of like how worried i am about jeff teague again similar deal came in with pretty low expectations for what jeff teague was going to bring and so far he has largely met those low expectations so i'm at like a two i think peyton pritchard will be taking a lot of his minutes when he is back
4: yeah i agree Ab. teague's uh, teague's another guy where it's like um you know he played on one you don't know exactly what you're getting and then you hope that the you know being with someone like brad and some of the other guys allows him to kind of have a little wiggle room to kind of shine, and then he doesn't. So you know, maybe he'll figure it out. Maybe he won't. But he's you know, second team guy, and it'd be nice. This is it'd be nice. He'd be a pleasant surprise at this point, I
2: think. Yeah, I didn't think Teague was very glamorous signing. Um, he's he doesn't turn the ball over particularly often, which is something Brad Wanamaker loved to do. Uh, the again, the pride and joy of Pittsburgh. Um, so that's nice from a backup point guard or wherever he lands in the rotation, but it's it's not a particularly exciting player, and he never was supposed to be. So I'm concerned in that he's not adding so much to the team and maybe a different person on the roster could fill that spot, but it's just kind of meh for me. So uh, I have a five, a very boring five for level of concern.
3: That's about where I'm at as well. Uh, I didn't expect too much from him, but it's you know it's going to be – pretty painful uh, over the next couple of weeks, particularly before we get uh, Peyton back. Hopefully uh, he'll be coming back on the West coast road trip uh, for Wednesday for the game against Sacramento. We'll have to go up against golden state without him again, golden state on Tuesday, Sacramento, Wednesday, the Clippers on Friday and then uh, Phoenix on Sunday. Uh, Then Utah who is kicking ass uh, so far that last loss alone recently Um, on February 9th, Um, and then it kind of eases up uh, as they they move back to the East with Toronto, Detroit, and Washington. How are we feeling about how this is going to go?
1: These are going to be some hard teams. Um, The Warriors have definitely played quite well. Uh, I think there's definitely holes in their roster, so it wouldn't be the most shocking thing to me in the world if the Celtics can come out with a win, especially considering that they are probably motivated to do as much. Um, Kings, I'm not particularly worried about Clippers have, you know, predictably been one of the best teams in the league and admittedly Tatum and Brown pretty much always play the Clippers tough, but I have a really hard time seeing how the Celtics win that game without Marcus Smart in the lineup. Phoenix is interesting. They have maybe been a little disappointing relative to the high expectations that uh, came to their season as a result of getting Chris Paul. They're still tough. They're still a quality veteran team. I do think that um, there's some areas that we can attack them, particularly Devin Booker on the defensive end against Jalen Brown. I think it's going to be a tough matchup and Utah has just been playing lights out. They had a bad loss last night, but that'll happen. Um, Donovan Mitchell has just been excellent. Uh, I think Gobert pretty consistently gives the Celtics problems. I think Kemba Walker could be a difference maker in that game, but It's going to be really hard Uh, based just on looking at those games. I think you're probably looking at two and three out of those five, but it's possible that we flip that and go three and two. I do not think that we're going to uh, win more than three games in that stretch though.
2: Yeah. Uh, Last year, the Celtics were really streaky. They would kind of balance three game, five game winning streaks with a couple of losses in a row. And so far we're seeing similar stuff from the C's team. Boston's really without a signature win. I mean, it's really early in the season. I don't want to lose sight of that. Uh, Earlier today, I did some back of the napkin math. And in a normal season, it would be like the first week of December. So we're still far from really able to make any um, intense conclusions. But this would be a really great opportunity for Boston to kind of uh, puff out its chest a little bit. Uh, Alex, I think you're right. And that would really, really look good if it was on the strength of Kemba Walker. I really, I could see Boston losing all five of these games. I could see them winning four or five of them even. I mean, let's not pretend like this isn't a team that went to the conference finals, but also let's not pretend like this is a team really missing Peyton Pritchard, who is a rookie. So it it could go really in either direction. And I still don't know if it would be that revelatory at the end of the day. So I I don't know if I could have, rhetorically punted any more than i just did but uh, <laughs> okay. no i'm kind of with you i could definitely
3: see you know like four of these games probably at most being losses um i don't think they're going to lose to the clippers no matter how it goes so this is probably going to be like a, the one team uh, that does beat them and them going four and one but i'm thinking three and two pretty reasonable with that but, I mean, if the losses do pile up, we're going to hear more chatter for the Celtics to make a move sooner. Um, I don't think we're going to see a move before the trade deadline or the week or so before it because with, I think the, the deadline to aggregate players is tomorrow. So if we, if we haven't really heard any chatter coming out of Boston side of things, um, I don't expect a move. But we have been hearing some chatter uh, pick up uh, connecting Boston with, quote-unquote, interest, which is, you know, a super nebulous term that doesn't really mean much of anything other than maybe this player was mentioned in the trade column that is you know, really, really common and customary. But it seems that, excuse me, J.J. Redick uh, was reported as one of, well, the Celtics were reported as one of three teams interested in J.J. Reddick of the New Orleans Pelicans along with the 76ers and Brooklyn Nets I wanted to get your guys' feelings now that we're hearing this. Are we worried about him going to another team?
1: I think, Justin, that that is the reason that the Celtics are being uh, talked about in these discussions, more so than J.J. Redick is going to be a great fit that will put the Celtics over the top. Uh, Frankly, I kind of don't see it. J.J. Redick is nearing the end of his career. He is relatively expensive and on a one-year deal. Uh, so uh, it would not be a long-term investment. It would be very much a win-now move. Um, the smart injury maybe opens the door a little bit to getting J.J. Redick, but uh, I think that the Celtics certainly should not be sending out any sort of meaningful assets in that kind of a deal. Now, maybe if it's like Carson Edwards and the second-round pick, sure. But... Um, I don't necessarily think it's the greatest use of the TPE that we got from the Gordon Hayward, uh, sign and trade. And I, I just think given what the Celtics need right now, which is primarily playmaking and defense, uh, I'm not sure that Redick necessarily helps that a whole lot. I kind of feel like, uh, the Celtics would be better off just seeing what they have in Aaron Nesmith playing him a lot. And, uh, going from there if they're looking for shooting now maybe uh the counter argument to that is Neesmith has been inconsistent up to this point if you're trying to maximize Tatum and Brown's value on the floor you need to surround them with shooters I do get that but I think if that's the case then you should probably be going for some of the other names that are being mentioned people like Danilo Gallinari, Kevin Herter, Buddy Heald. Those guys make a lot more sense
2: to me with this roster than Reddick does. Cam, any change of heart since I saw on the last podcast? No, don't trade for JJ Redick. Just do not do it. He's the fourth oldest player in the NBA. He's shooting 29.8% from three, and he is not anywhere close to even a net medium on defense. It makes no sense Please let him sign with the Brooklyn Nets. Let them get worse at defense. Please let them him sign with the Sixers and take away touches from Joel Embiid. bead. Uh, I like JJ Redick as a human being. I'm great podcaster. happy. Great podcaster. I'm happy that he's had a, a great career in the NBA, but he has no business in playing on a contending team. Now, of course he's going to sign with the Lakers. He's going to play 15 minutes a night and he's going to like win a game six somewhere down the line. And I'll, eat my hat. But until then, no, the Celtics should not trade for J.J. Reddock.
3: I mean, I hope he does. I hope he does uh, do well somewhere. I hope he proves this wrong. I just don't think that, you know, I wrote about this earlier today. Um, thanks for the help with the headline. Uh, I, I don't think that there is a lot of wiggle room for the Celtics to screw up with the TPE. And I think that even if they do want to take kind of a, a bigger swing on on kind of like a win now uh, player who doesn't necessarily fit the timeline so much, they at least need another year's salary so they can use him to move and burn some assets, some more assets, uh, to do something with it. Cause if he screws up, if it's a if it's a bust, then they're just out at TPE money forever and it's gone and that sucks.
1: JJ Redick is going to do about as much for the Celtics titles chances as he did in the case of preventing a kidnapping. (laughs)
2: That's a deep cut. (laughs) Uh, Well, while we're on the subject of things that aren't going to happen, uh, Aaron Gordon was just reported out for something like the next six weeks. And I was really getting ready to talk myself into that one. But I don't know if, if that's going to happen.
1: So when is it going to happen? For Aaron Gordon is the thing because we've been talking yeah. about oh, Aaron Gordon's due to pop any minute now he's gonna you know turn into the player that we all thought he was gonna be when he was drafted so highly by the magic. You know, every year we have this conversation and every year it's kind of the same thing Aaron Gordon, we'll put up some nice stats and every now and then he'll have, you know, a big game but he just doesn't strike me as a player that impacts winning very much. And it's not, you know, the magic haven't been great, but they also haven't been a dumpster fire these past few years. And I guess I'm, I'm a little more dubious about Aaron Gordon's value as a winning player than I think a lot of people might be.
3: I have just really doubled down on my feelings about this and whatever it costs uh, within reason, you know, no James Harden deals here, but within reason, like if it's two picks and a late pick swap in the future, even plus Romeo Langford, let's get Harrison Barnes on this team. The the, the Kings are almost certainly not going to go anywhere. Um, he's a good fit. He he does things that the Celtics need. He doesn't need a ton of touches. He can play um, as a starter. He can play on the second unit. Um, he, he can fit on the team. Now he's worth going into the tax for. And I think he is the kind of player who could push the Celtics into a serious title contender rather than a fringe one.
2: I don't want anything to do with Harrison Barnes' contract. Uh, being, so, I mean, it's not my money. They could go ahead and spend it, but I don't think that that's a good use of uh, roster space. I think Aaron Gordon is a, a good defender, and he doesn't need the ball in his hands to be effective. I think that's the appeal. I think it's worth, he's been talked about so much it was worth addressing. I think that his afro has never looked better, and then that's really cool, but I'm not – Losing sleep over the fact that the Celtics probably aren't going to trade for Aaron Gordon now. Um, I would lose a little bit of sleep, I think, if they signed for Harrison Barnes. I mean, traded for Harrison Barnes.
1: I'm, I'm really th- interested in seeing which of these guys on the Atlanta Hawks is ultimately going to be available. <laughs> I feel like they have too many players that want minutes on actually good teams between Gallinari, between Herder. You know, I don't know what they're going to do with John Collins. They're probably not going to deal him for pennies on the dollar but he's going to be expensive next year and i don't know that they necessarily want to fit that bill so i i would say keep the powder dry until you figure out what atlanta's doing and go from there
4: personally
3: probably a fair call i really do like the idea of collins i think he would be similarly expensive and a very big flight risk in terms of what they want to pay for uh when he does hit the the market, I know that, that Harrison Barnes is kind of expensive, but he is a good enough player that if it doesn't work, you can aggregate to him pretty easily for another player, not the best, you know, in terms of, in terms of finances, but I don't think that we're going to find um, at least now the player uh, who fits everything we're, we're looking for. And it's really a delicate balance. I do agree. We want to wait a little bit longer, but we also kind of want to, Maybe think about you know perfection being the enemy of good.
1: I I will say, if if the wizards truly go into the toilet and are ready to blow it up, Davis Bertans is oh for the sure. One. Send He's the one.
2: Did you see Let the me. defense
1: he was playing the other night? I don't night? No care, way. Cam. I don't care if you put Davis Bertons on the floor with Robert Williams, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Mark Smart. That team is going to light people on fire.
2: I think that defense is going to be a really important currency in the Eastern conference playoffs because unless you can somehow keep up with the nets, you're going to need to grind them into a powder. And I think the other teams that are looking to contend are ready to do that. So I like uh, Bertans. I like hitting shoot and connecting on threes. I don't like Swiss cheese on defense. I don't really like Swiss cheese at all. I mean just be, let me just come it's, out. And say it, it is a mediocre cheese if we're being Yeah, what honest. is it? It's I low just, salt though.
3: Low salt. That's important. Yeah, but that
1: the whole
2: uh, point I, I hate that I'm old enough that. that you just convinced
1: me. <laughs> the, whole, the whole point of cheese is that it's high salt. You should know what yeah, you're doing with cheese. I'm not
2: eating cheese to be healthy. I mean that's exactly. great Yeah. I like Swiss people, but not the cheese.
1: Fetter is cool. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's a good point. Maybe the Celtics should trade for him.
1: Oh, that would be amazing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Where are we going? Oh, my God. Anyway, it would be nice if we had a point guard who was actually, you know, able to play a bit more. Um, I hear there's this Isaiah Thomas guy uh, who is a free agent. And unfortunately, we got word from the man himself over the weekend that uh, any realistic possibility of him rejoining the Celtics is out. Um, but we have someone who knows him pretty well here. And John, uh, could you maybe give us some background on, on uh, you know, what's going on with it and uh, more specifically um, what's going on with you and uh, his slow grind media uh, imprint?
4: Yeah. Um, well, as to your, you know, the, the, the question at hand about him playing and all that kind of stuff uh, he's, I've been able to see a lot of video, obviously, with traveling and things. You can't just go kind of shoot around and hang out. But um, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of the, the guys that are around him and have been for, you know, since the summer, to be able to see what he's been able to do with his hip surgery. And so he is, by all accounts, even other players that, I, that I've that i talked to, I, I talked to Jamal Crawford a decent amount and things. And, and he's, he's back to, they think, um, on the court looking like he was when he was with us, right, with the Celtics. And so – there is a uh, optimism when people are watching him play that he could be that guy. He just needs the opportunity. Uh, he's got his explosives net in this back, his speed back, you know his shot is is always just that quick release those 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 spot up jumpers and the things that he can do around the basket are all there. Um, so hopefully, you know he's gonna do this team USA thing, which would be a nice chance to shine and play with some of the guys. Um that's all. he's kind of he just needs a shot. There's some things that happen with certain teams and salary caps in early February that hopefully, we'll give him a shot to sign, but um, health wise, he's there. I personally, uh, you know, I'm biased, but I have no doubt he can, he can compete if given, if given a chance. So on the playing side, I mean, he just needs a shot. He's the, like the hardest worker you're, you're ever going to see out there. And so it would just be awesome. I think wherever he goes, I mean, if he lands on one of these teams that really does have a shot and needs that, you know, six guy or, or even guy off the bench who ends up playing, you know, something like 20, 25 minutes a night. I think, I think if he gets 20 minutes a night, he's going to be back to like 16, 18 points a night, bunch of steals, bunch of excitement, get the crowd in it, and maybe keep him on the floor at the end of the fourth with whoever you have. So that's my completely biased, non-objective opinion. That makes me very happy to hear, to be honest, because
1: man, I just remember watching Isaiah Thomas uh at the garden, and it was absolutely electric to watch that guy work when he was at his peak. I can't think of a player that. I felt a stronger personal attachment to when he was at his absolute best. Um, You know, in particular, I remember there was a regular season game actually against Kemba Walker's Hornets uh, where Isaiah, I was in the garden and Isaiah and Kemba had just an incredible epic duel. Uh, And this was when the Hornets were kind of a fringe playoff contender and the Celtics were, uh, you know, would eventually wind up as the one seed that year, uh, in large part thanks to a borderline MVP campaign by Isaiah. But, you know, watching that guy come up big in every situation that he was asked, you know, in the fourth quarter when nobody could score and Avery Bradley was just hucking the ball off of the backboard and Jay Crowder was turning it over left and right, and our only offense was give the ball to Isaiah and get out of the way. It was really remarkable to watch. So I'm glad to hear that physically he feels like he's better. I really hope that this Team USA thing connects him with some of the coaching staff there who are able to kind of put in a good word for him because he really can, as an offensive spark plug off the bench, I still believe that he really can uh, help contending team looking to take that next step
2: yeah uh i think one of the the things i love about isaiah was the relationship he built with the city and the fans um and even the media the, the few times that i was able to you know ask him questions and stuff he was he was so generous with his time and his uh enthusiasm and john you've been working alongside him for however many months years i guess i don't know actually how long the relationship even goes but just because celtics fans do have such a special place for isaiah in their heart i'm wondering do you have any stories about isaiah that maybe other people haven't heard that you could kind of dazzle us with oh uh, man i have a, a I have funny an awesome story yeah tell, yeah, tell he's us he's an
4: aw- he's 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 an awesome dude he he you know he's he's one of those guys uh, and you know when you guys cover it and i've covered the league for, for years and written books with all kinds of nba guys and by and large most of them are, are good dudes but some kind of go above and beyond and all that kind of stuff and so my um my just cool just just recently happened with him um Isaiah uh, I was joking about so he has like you know when you when you're a player you get have like bobblehead nights and all these kind of things right and so I was joking with him through text uh because he did a bobblehead giveaway maybe a month or two ago and I joked to him I was like hey here's my son's bobblehead my my brother gave me uh for like the best man at his wedding years ago he made a bobblehead of me as a thing to do online so I got one and the other you know groom has been got one it was really cool so we'll send a picture of that. And about like a week and a half later, you know, in the mail, a bobblehead signed to my son from Isaiah shows up. Right. And like, that's the kind of stuff he does. And I'm sure he does that, you know, with a zillion other, other people. Um, you know, when I interviewed a lot of people for hoops heist um, you know, he does a yearly like huge backpack giveaway in Tacoma and Seattle for all his kids going back to school. Backpacks are filled like to the brim with Nike gear shoes you know all the stuff they would need gift you know gift certificates to buy books and things like that so like he is such a community oriented like lift people up kind of guy um and that whole area that was really what the the book is about all those guys that are from there nate and jamal and doug christie they all look out for each other so much and they all kind of pass you know pass down to the next generation and kind of look up and thank the generation of them so yeah. My, that, that's one of my favorites. So it just, it just happened. That's why it's fresh in my mind. But um, you know, we have a, we have a really good relationship. You'd ask about out slow grind. Yeah. It's been probably over a year. His, his um, he has a guy who did I, a book of Isaiah and also used to do um, state of Nate for Nate Robinson. This guy, TJ Regan, who's awesome. And he and I met when I was writing Nate's book. I don't even know that it was like 2012 or 13 or 14 or something. And so I've been in touch with the kind of the Seattle basketball crew for a while. And then, you know, when Isaiah founded the slow grind productions and with the clothing company and the media and all that uh, we had talked about collaborating me and TJ and Isaiah for a while. And it just seemed, you know, just ripe for a book on the Sonics and what happened and no one had done it yet. Sometimes there's these ideas out there as an author that it's like something pops in your head, walking the dog or taking a shower or lifting weights. And you're like, why is there a book? And you start Googling and Amazon and go all around and you don't see anything. And then, you know, he'd been wanting to do something to tell the story of Seattle. Uh, and we kind of all just assumed that maybe we missed the big definitive history of really what happened with the Sonics and how it affected the players from there. Uh, and as soon as it didn't, we were like, let's do this. Let's do this book. And so, you know, the, the early conversations and, you know, with Isaiah about that. And then I got lucky because all this happened during you know COVID obviously, but I had luckily spent like over a week there when I did Nate's book. So I had a good familiarity. They all went to two or three different high schools, which I'd already seen. I all my photos from back then and all the interviews and stuff. And so I was able to, to knock it out, but um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a really cool uh, relationship to have obviously. And then, like you said, it's one of those things where you do get to know guys and you're always hesitant. Yeah. Yeah, always. I don't care how long you've been in the business when you hear that someone's a really good guy because you just kind of sometimes wait for the other shoe to drop. Not that you'll ever tell anyone, but you just kind of want to, you know, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but in this case uh, he's just great. He's a great dad, which is for me, you know, great dad, great husband, All that stuff's first and foremost. And he's a fun dude to work with. And, and then also, man, I, I get to see some of the videos early uh, from, um, you know, Book of Isaiah that TJ will send me and some of the stuff he's working on. And, and I, I just really wanted to see him get out there and show everybody what he can do.
2: Don, so I have a, a kind of a left turn here for a question. So you have yeah. a book out. Uh, it's called Hoops Heist Seattle, The Sonics and How a Stolen Team's Legacy Gave Rise to the NBA's Secret Empire. Uh, just because I'm so curious, what has it been like to promote a book during a, a pandemic? I mean, I don't know what it's like to promote a book, <laughs> not in a pandemic, different, but I'm sure man. it's different. You
4: know, yeah, it's really different. There's, there's a lot of this, a lot of Zooms, a lot sure. of uh, a lot of podcasts, a lot of radio stuff, a lot of Q&As, a lot of Twitter giveaways, live Twitter stuff, a lot of Instagram, you know, all the social media things people are doing, uh, the things that, you know, we haven't been able to do, obviously bookstore signings are are huge, especially with, you know, someone like Isaiah and some of the other guys who are in the book, you could, you know, load up the whole West coast and do, you know, forget Barnes and Nobles. We had plans of doing book signings at high schools and colleges and university of Washington. I mean, we'd sell out, you know, from a, from a financial standpoint, I mean, you'd sell mm-hmm. thousands of books just doing a couple of book signings at, you know, university of Washington, some of the high schools these guys went to talking to all the high school coaches and colleges you know, in the area. So that, you know, not being able to do that is a big, is a big change. Um, for me personally i've always had book tours you know not like the old school book tours they don't they don't really do that anymore where they send you Mm -hmm. you know for two or three weeks out just around the country unless you know maybe john grisham or stephen king or some of those guys (laughs) but uh for us who kind of just are uh, several rungs below that um you know you do some though you set them up you you would fly around i had planned on going to seattle for a while um a couple of the cities boston we were obviously going to go to and not being able to do that It, it does sort of suck because you know in the relative scheme of people dealing with issues with COVID, obviously, uh, from this particular standpoint, it is fun. There, there, are, there are writers who just loathe author signings and book signings. Um, and I've just found them to be great, especially when it's an, with a team or an athlete, uh, you get to go do really cool stuff. And if you're really creative, you get to set up these awesome interviews at maybe Boston garden at a game. Um, you know, reminds me, I did one, I did a biography of Charlie Ward who, who played for the Knicks, won the Heisman with Florida state and won the national championship with them. And we set up a book signing at halftime of the Knicks game at Madison square garden. So for, you know, I'm never going to play at Madison square garden, but a book signing at Madison square garden is about as close as, as an author, you know, with a 26 inch vertical, uh, maybe once in high school ever was going to get right. So like, uh, that kind of stuff you just don't get to do. So that's probably a little long winded answer, but um it is what it is. And it's been cool to see everybody sharing. We do a lot of promotions where people send us pictures of them with the book. Uh, I have bookmarks that i am been giving away. Left and right book plates, signed stuff. Isaiah's been giving a lot of stuff away. So we've been trying to be innovative with it. But uh, it's different like everything else. But we'll get around it. I mean, the book's still getting word of mouth and getting out and doing all that stuff. But yeah, we haven't been able to do some of the, you know, we were going to have a, basically a camp around the book and, and a tournament where it was going to be made and as say, and Jamal and Doug Christie, these guys are going to show up in Seattle and do some cool stuff in Seattle, Tacoma. And one day we will the book will still be there when hopefully this all kind of slows down. So we'll see. John, I have another question
1: for you. So, um, so Isaiah is one of my three favorite Celtics that I've ever watched. Mm. Uh, The other, the one that's playing right now is Jalen Brown. Um, But the one that I wanted to ask you about, the third one on that list is a guy that you got a chance to interview. And I'm just so curious as to what this was like. Uh, Kevin Garnett, uh, Mm. who you wrote about in the great stars of the NBA series. Um, I'm just
4: fascinated to hear what your interaction with kg was like one-on-one What's yeah and that on book um so that was i did a, a series of books uh from like 2001 or two to three or four uh it was for the nba's read to achieve program and we did a series of 12 books and the first one was on shack and then iverson and duncan and i think garnett was the fourth and, and we did 12 and it was like the best way i can describe it and it's a little generationally but it was like they were four kids trying to get kids to read so we took all the highlights and took freeze frames of their dunks and their reverses and rebounds and all their highlight plays and put them on, uh, on, in a book. And then we had two like Beavis and Butthead type characters, like narrate their careers. And they were called T minus and little hops. These are the names they came up with. And the books did really, really well. As you can imagine, it was real live footage for, for, for the, uh, the NBA gave us like full archival access. Um, And so I did all that. And then to get kind of a, personalized stuff with it at the time i lived i lived in la for about 10 years and i lived in la during this so when the players that we were doing books on came through Staples center for either the play clippers or the lakers i went to those games all that is to say um garnett is as intense and 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 i'm there you know it was it's hard sometimes when you're doing a book because you want to give deference to the beat guys who have a deadline and they're trying to get copy out nowadays tonight or on twitter that night or, or latest the next day and video and all that and you're like, my, my deadline's four months from now, right? Like you don't want to be a jerk and take up the time, but you, you're only got one press pass for maybe that night or two nights and you got to get it. So Garnett, it was one of those uh, where I believe it was a Clippers game against like the old Darius Miles, Corey Baghetti, Elton Brand, one of my favorite sneaky favorite teams actually to watch when I lived out there. Um, and he – I don't even remember if they won or lost. I just remember he was just absolutely pouring sweat at the post game. <laughs> And I did, I really like, I, and again, I, back then I was really young. I, I was doing these books at like 24 and I just was, you know, I'm in there and Mike Wilbon's in there and all, all these guys from the, L, the big LA media are there and I'm just letting them all do their thing. And I, I have my thing that says like, I can't remember, the, it said something like greatest NBA stars had a goopy press pass. So I walked up to him and, you know, he's just, what do you, you know, what are you here for? And he wasn't rude at all. It's just like, you know, he's used They're in the rhythm of how did you feel about this? You know, when Elton Brand doubled you with Lamar Odom or all these kind of questions. And I'm just like, when you were a kid, you know, did you, what was your go-to food uh, after school before you went? You know what I mean? Like, those are the questions. It was a kid's book. I said, I'm like, look, I kind of had to set the tone. Some guys really got it right away. He answered questions like peanut butter and jelly, uh, rap music, like just intense. He answered them. He was cool. They're very intense uh, is what I remember. And I remember the questions. I felt like almost embarrassed in some way because, uh, I was asking just goofy, you know, oh, what was your favorite Nickelodeon show? Uh, you know, cause this is for kids who are going to be like eight to 10 or what was your favorite book that you used to read? You know, and he answered them all. He was cool, but that was what it was like, I'd say intense. And I think it'd be different any time i covered a zillion games. If I was asking him about basketball, I think he kind of was like, who the hell is this guy? And why is he asking me about, you know, if I read, you know,
2: um, goosebumps or whatever, but, uh, but it was cool. So John, we know you're, you got to get out of here. Um, so uh, let's wrap with this first plug the book again, because yeah, it's you're here uh
4: for. book's called hoops heist. And uh, if, if it's out now, it's been uh top of Amazon basketball books for a long time. Now, if you order it, anyone who does order it, hit me on Twitter at John J O N underscore Finkel. I have uh, me and Isaiah have a bunch of book plates to be signed, which are basically really cool, like four by six postcards of the book cover. We can sign them, uh, send them off to you. So if you do get one, hit me on Twitter, just send me a screenshot of the order from Amazon or a picture of you holding it, whatever, when you get it. And uh, we'll send you some of that stuff. Um, we have other cool swag you can enter into later on, but that's the, yeah, that's it. Buy it now, we, um, we appreciate it. Write a, read a review, you know, write a review if you do it. Soon, All
2: right, not bad, I wasn't expecting any of that. Uh, well, so John, last question. If you had to guess what happens first, uh, Celtics win a title with, uh, well, Celtics win a title or Seattle gets an NBA franchise?
4: I think the Celtics will win a title before maybe Seattle plays a game, but I think we might find out. I'm hedging, but I think. What are you a lawyer? Let's, yeah, I think, here's what I, I think. Seattle. I think we win a title, but I think there's a shot they announce that Seattle gets a team back, but their first game may actually be like a little farther away because I don't. I don't want to. I really think it with the right chips that fall. I think. I think with Tatum and Brown and a couple things changing here and there. Um, I think our windows now, I think if we won, I don't know about this particular year, but we could certainly, but I definitely think, you know, 2022, 20, 23, 24, we, we should be in the finals. And if we're not, we need to change something big. So the idea of like the Sonics actually playing a game in those next two or three years is probably not long. So I'm going to say Celtics champion.
2: Can I end the podcast with a joke? Sure. What's the national snack food of Switzerland, a neutral grain bar.
3: Uh, i am so stealing (laughs)
2: that i mean i think this that's this is the podcast for that yeah happy with that answer well mr Finkel, the book is called hoops heist it's all about seattle basketball thanks for joining us on celtics lab tonight thank you guys i appreciate it this was fun yeah okay if you like the podcast please leave us a review <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep, that's God. true you can also check us out uh in the burgeoning otg podcast network along with many others including full access pacers Brooklyn buzz uh, it's always something in philadelphia and of course the outlet uh we are part of a rapidly expanding network so if you like what you hear
2: here check out all of the other OTG podcasts. uh justin we sell our t-shirts
3: We are selling t shirts design tree. We'll have the link in here. Take care, (laughs) y'all. Thanks a (laughs) lot.